Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. Hey, listeners, I'm Kim Naoni, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship in advancement. Today, I'm happy to welcome my friend, Sally Grace Tate, Executive Director of Women and Philanthropy at UC Davis. Uh, We're going to be speaking today about growing women's philanthropy. Welcome, Sally Grace. Oh, welcome, Kim. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for your time. I know you're busy, but I always appreciate having a conversation with you. So uh, you've had a successful career in the corporate world, and you had a successful career in that arena before you decided to launch into a career in philanthropy. Uh, As you evolved in your professional career in philanthropy, you developed a strong passion for elevating the philanthropic role of women in our society, something that's near and dear to you. So today, I want you to talk to us about the history of philanthropic programs that specifically focus on women and philanthropy, why they're critical for a university to have in place, and why your institution chose to invest in this initiative. All right, those are all three powerful questions. Women's philanthropy in the United States really has a long history. It's it's a part of the fabric of our country, perhaps more invisible than visible. Mm -hmm. And it included individual women, groups of women, and women of all races, ethnicities, and age. So how we often make gifts in memory of loved ones, that's a time-honored theme, that began with women and women using resources for the common good. Women across race and culture have often worked along parallel tracks to achieve the same common goals. Mm -hmm. So this has been a part of the United States for years. Modern women's philanthropy, I'm gonna say appeared in the early 1970s. And this was that emergence of women's funds focused on women's collective power to ignite change. The theme with women and giving is often impact, impact for change. And why, I think your second question had to do with why are they critical in a university to have in place? And I'm the first thing out of my mouth is, well, look around your campuses, right? Mm-hmm. Women make up more than 50% of undergraduate populations at universities and colleges. And that percent is even higher in professional schools. Absolutely. Uh, you think about med schools, for example, mm-hmm. uh, 60%, sometimes 65% women versus men. And this is not a new trend, by the way. This is uh, a trend that is a decade to a decade and a half old. UC Davis has a premier veterinary medicine school, 80% women, 80% women. And I think it was 2018, I read a stat 
well, I read the stat recently, but it says mm. in 2018 is when law schools crossed over that 50% of students being women versus female. So I say, well, what do we know? We know that women give. We know that women are generous. So they are going to be ready to be donors and volunteers to your institutions, but what are we doing? Because they'll give to some organization, make no mistake, but what are institutions doing in a proactive way to engage these alums earlier and often is what I want to say. And I think uh, to add to that, you know how traditionally in advancement, we've often assumed that you know, you're working with a certain couple or you're working with a certain, uh, you know, uh, family that your alum, say, is a, is a man, is a, is a male. And the assumption is that, oh, yeah, we're just going to work with so-and-so, Joe Schmo, uh, and solicit him. And we spend very little time understanding their spouse, a significant other, and not knowing that oftentimes in the, in the heterosexual relationships, you know, you're not going to get a transformational gift if the wife is not involved or they're the ones that typically lead those discussions. And I can tell you to a person, anytime I engage the family, it's the matriarch of the family that's always the one who is leading the decision in that. And that's, I mean, it's, it's so it, it goes without saying that those institutions that are ignoring uh, this segment and not looking at it as, a place where, you know, a, a group that is the driver of philanthropy are doing this at their own peril. That's why I was very excited to see that you all had this program that focuses on women and, and, and philanthropy. I said, this is, this is what is such initiatives are needed. We talk about every other affinity group, but oftentimes we don't really think about this as an affinity initiative. You know, Kim, you, you touched on something that's very important there because when, when you think about women in philanthropy, and I don't want to stray too far, it is, it's external and it's internal because mm -hmm. there are some behaviors and things that we as professionals in this space need to be doing differently. And you were, the example you gave, if the woman is not an alum and the husband is, is it, perhaps it's too easy to dismiss her. And yep. you are aware of the well, maybe you might not know the stat, Kim, but you've seen it, you've experienced it, and you know the role she plays in influencing the decision. And it is 75 to 80%. And then when you go to the ultra high net worth donors, it's 84% of the time the woman's making the decision. And lastly, lastly, women are still outliving men and will be left to make some ultimate decisions. Absolutely, I mean, it's you know, it's a. I didn't know those stats. So I'm, really, I'm, you know, it's it's even higher percentage than I thought. But I mean, it's uh, it, it make every it makes every sense in the world for institutions to really pay attention in your donor stewardship. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen places and things have changed, have evolved, where they're addressing an endowment report to the late so-and-so's, uh, you know, uh, trustee or lawyer, and the wife is still alive. Or it's going to the children and the wife is still there and to come and ask me, how come I'm not receiving any report on our endowment? 
and I it has my name on it too. Come to find out, the way they coded it according to institutional policy is man first, oh man only, and things like that have evolved. And I know many places have changed their policy; they're more holistic. But it may seem something small, but it sends a message about how you view the role of women in philanthropy. Yeah, and and it's as simple as in your thank yous, putting the woman's name first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there, there's, and all those little things matter. And, and some yeah. of them are bigger things when you bring in the database that you just Exactly, referenced. exactly. But, uh, so yeah, so um, mo- mo- moving along here, uh, you know, we talked about uh, the why and the critical criticality of this. So what experiences inspired your decision to elevate women in philanthropy? Well, it is a personal and professional passion of mine because society is shifting and that philanthropic landscape is changing. And look at all the new faces of philanthropy. I have been a student of the research as it pertains to gender and philanthropy. And so that I continue to want to learn more. There's a need for women to be involved and how do we involve them? And it's, it's a matter of being at the table, it's being heard and it's being valued for all that women bring. You know, women care about impact. I said that earlier, and it's not surprising that often women choose to support organizations or initiatives that impact people directly. So always know that women's giving is predicated on their value system. And I certainly wanna be a part of celebrating and sharing stories of women leaders and their impact through that broad definition of philanthropy. Emphasis on the word broad definition of philanthropy. I think far too often we misstep when we think money. Women don't wanna be seen as ATM machines. Let's be honest about that. And I'm always fascinated by that very word philanthropy. And I'll have to say the Greek roots of it translate most accurately to mean the love of humanity. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing, the love of humanity. And yet, if you were to ask women, if they see themselves as philanthropists, many of them would, would say no or shy away from that word, just as women don't oftentimes see themselves as caregivers. And we know so often they are the primary caregivers. So I keep What I'm playing with now is mixing the word generosity more often with philanthropy because I don't know what other baggage might come with the word philanthropy. And yet we are talking about women's support and women's philanthropy. There I go off on a tangent, Kim. I'm sorry about that. We we need (laughs) to highlight women. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I think of my own mother and, uh, uh, you know, she always volunteers her time with her church, you know, when they're looking to set up a new church, she, given her, her professional experience in, uh, in, as a leader in operations and business, she became the COO and try to organize things and without getting compensated for it, because she is passionate about helping others. And even during her retirement, she spends most of her time helping others. And if you ask her, she would not necessarily consider or call herself a philanthropist, she just say, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to make a difference. And that's, that, 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 that's her approach. It's not so much as I want to be 
seen as doing this for the sake of doing it. I just want to move the needle. And I know that it, my, my experience can help change the world. And so that, that, that has always inspired me. So uh, from, from your perspective, and you touched on this a little bit, uh, what challenges have you seen in society's understanding of women as uh, philanthropists? Oh my, there's so much to that question. Most of us who've worked in development or advancement are so familiar with the three T's, time, talent, and treasure. Yes. But there are other T's and, and which need to be considered. And, and I want you to think in terms of testimonies. Mm -hmm. uh, women tell stories and, and those stories are compelling. I don't want to make it just women. I'm sure men can be inspired by stories, but women in particularly. And the ties, just because it has a T, is essentially networks. And so often when we think about networking and who does it best, uh, we think men. And a lot of women are like, oh, I don't know how to network. But women do have their networks and they will leverage those networks. And in many ways, it's one of the reasons why women are not opposed to giving as a collective, you know, giving circles that got started or the hundred women's fund, very popular. And uh, so that's, that's women using their networks and women saying, Hey, I'm involved in this. I just want you to know about it. Uh, if you're interested, come with me. Uh, the best practices. Oh my these, and you alluded to it earlier, they are more than a bit dated, you know, 50 years old, if that, it's that heterosexual white married man with children. And this man at the time would be the primary breadwinner. And these are how our best practices got established. And long story short, it's a very narrow lens for us to be using now as we develop new strategies for greater support and engagement. And we all know that change can be hard and advancement leaders and anyone who sort of is like, well, if it isn't broken, we're not gonna fix it. And if you're not going to be intentional with your women's philanthropy, if you're wanting to dip your toes and find out what it's about, you've got to invite women into the conversation. And that myth, that myth that Oh, it takes too long for women to decide to make a gift or the myth that women don't make big gifts. Well, that is certainly being proven false more often and on a larger stage than ever before. So I, uh, I could, I could go on, but those are just, those are the top of mind things for me. No, I appreciate that. Uh, definitely some, some good uh, point for consideration here in terms of, uh, that you know, leaders leaders have to be open to uh, you know to em to embrace the unknown and uh, the, the and the known unknown that are in front of them and not real and realize that open your eyes you have a segment of your alumni base of your donor base that is very philanthropic by nature and so you know be inclusive in the true sense of that word in. Uh, appealing and, you know, uh, to that particular segment, just like you spend time with, uh, with other segments and treat them 
accordingly. I mean, to me, at, at the end of the day, we're in a, we're in a mission of advancing our, 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 our causes, our organizations. And so that requires all hands on deck. That requires getting everybody in who believes in the mission of what we're trying to do. And uh, that's absolutely critical. Um, in our conversation earlier, you mentioned uh, key pillars to having a successful, scalable, and impactful uh, women in philanthropy program, rather. So let's talk about those key pillars. Uh, what what are the key pillars to, to such a program? Well, there are essentially six, I'm going to go with the word principles that create uh-huh. a successful women's philanthropy program, and they're not linear. I'll Mm -hmm. share all six of them with you, but they're fundamental as they serve as the foundation for a system of belief and or behavior. Mm -hmm. Again, we were touching upon how behaviors have to change for those of us in the profession, but you start with um, insight, you know, that strategy of will come out of, well, what do we know? What have we been doing? What resonates with our women donors? What is our culture here? And if you can, look at your data, see what your data is telling you. And the second is women's input is key. And I, that may be the one I feel most passionately about. Again, all of them have been a part of what's transpired at UC Davis, but the greatest insights are going to come from your women donors and volunteers. So intentionally and authentically inviting conversations with these women will bring about the biggest aha moments because women will share their ideas and strategies will then be developed to accelerate fundraising. And as I said, women aren't ATM machines. So realize that women give more than money. The example you came of your mother, it's, it, it happens over and over again, oftentimes unseen or behind the scenes than seen, but broaden the definition of philanthropy. Let's all think about what it means and all the many ways that any individual contributes to our cause. An organization's leadership needs to be involved And that's critical when you think about the sustainability. Mm -hmm. It requires those in uh, the decision makers and the vision makers to move resources that allow for this type of transformation. So you've got to have uh, the people in the top leadership position being an advocate for this and and being willing to say, all right, let's give it a shot. Mm The fifth is by starting the path forward, we'll, well, just by starting, the path is going to be revealed. And, and that may seem risky or messy. And if I was sitting in front of a vice chancellor and saying, well, you know, I don't know, I would say, you know what, it is going to be a little messy, but it's not risky because this principle is accurate, you know, just starting. Uh, I often say, how do you eat a cookie? You eat it one bite at a time. And mm-hmm. as you as you do that first step, then other things will be revealed. And then lastly, the work is evolutionary. And this is one of the reasons I, UC Davis, stopped using the Women in Philanthropy program. Because I think it suggests maybe standalone or it's siloed. 
And I think the word initiative is more representative. It's more fluid. It's more entrepreneurial. And to me, this is not a program just in and of itself, albeit we have a fundraising fund, et cetera. But we, we want to raise awareness across our campuses. Mm -hmm. So there's not a single end game, right? It's going to evolve. And as it involve, evolves, excuse me, you're going to get more diverse partners and funding to achieve whatever the goals or impacts that have been articulated. And that's, that. there's beauty in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Perhaps you can share how your program is structured. Uh, you know, we've talked about, about these uh, initiatives and, and sort of principles, but from a structure, uh, you know, what kind of um, initiatives are you, are you leading and, you know, how is that working? Lessons you've learned. Yeah. You can't do all things at once. Let me be clear about that. And I was very intentional in being sure that this group of women who volunteered said, hey, yeah, I want to be a part of this, that, that I made it clear that they were going to be thought partners and co-creators. Mm -hmm. I wasn't coming with a formula to say this is what we're going to do because it needed to be for and by the women that had a great awareness of UC Davis. So that that made it exciting. And I'm going to say we began with that big heading of engagement and how that was articulated is, well, let's begin growing visibility and awareness to what women in philanthropy is and why it matters. And let's be sure that we're going to advance inclusive philanthropy. Every gift counts. We're not going to only care about the six, the seven, the eight figure dollar gifts. And then it was, let's plan a big event. Mm -hmm. so that, that was where we started. Now, I want to say this was, it wasn't as though there was no philanthropy. I'd say, think of the little P in the word philanthropy, because we did establish a fund, mm -hmm. but we weren't leading with the capitalize P in philanthropy with a big initiative and let's all hands on deck. Uh, we, we thought that you begin with growing a group, uh, casting your net wide and education or information about what this was about. So that's what we did. And, and we did plan a big event on campus and we did establish the Women in Philanthropy Impact Award and quite proud of that. And why is that important? A, because it's at the same level as the chancellor, we, it comes with a $25,000 prize. It's open to faculty and staff. Mm -hmm. It's a nomination process. But the recipient, she or he, then in turn directs the fund to one of the other funds in campus. So it's, it's not salary. It's not going there. But we've had one an, uh, inaugural winner last year. We'll have another one this fall. And what she chose to do, and I think it illustrates women's giving again, uh, a faculty member, she could have easily directed that 25,000 into her research. No questions asked, no one would have thought any less of her. Mm -hmm. But instead, she chose to give it to the Student Health Equity Fund. 
Oh, and what a beautiful a story, right? Impacting others. And well, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. So what, what are some of the other uh, 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 wins and thing, things that have come out of this within the, within the campus community that have, uh, have, have been a catalyst to accomplishing the long-term goal of, uh, of elevating uh, this uh, particular initiative? Well, I mentioned that we were uh, going to do a public launch. Yes. And we, we had a speaker coming in. And two weeks and two days shy of that March 29th, 2020 launch, uh, the global pandemic arrived and we went into shutdown. So we did what I call the pandemic pivot, as mm -hmm. many of our institutions did. And we chose to use that time to do a comprehensive survey which was an opportunity to get information out about us. So it went out to 19,000 women and we thought, well, let's, let's test their hypotheses around women's leadership, women's philanthropy, and find out how they make decisions about giving and, and volunteerism. So that was time well spent and we got a, a more than the statistical average response and started forming some strategies around that. Interestingly enough, the responses mirrored research. Uh, we launched a virtual speaker series, which many institutions began to realize the power of Zoom. And mm -hmm. I'm proud to say that for us, our events, our virtual speaker series, garnered the most attendance, registrations and attendance for the last uh, two years. So that was success. And then last fall we did as we believe we were coming out of the pandemic, it was time to gather. So we hosted the Wisdom of Women Symposium and nearly 1800 people attended. It was a sold out crowd. We had a celebrating generosity luncheon for 190 special guests that preceded the big event. And then, as I said, we announced our inaugural Women in Philanthropy Impact Award winner. So that was huge, but there were also outcomes. There've been outcomes of our work and that is colleagues coming to me saying, hey, I've been trying to get in touch with this woman. She's very influential. She's just not responding to me. I'm wondering if this initiative might be the bridge or might be the entry point. And we're seeing that over and over again, that instead of talking about maybe what was going on in, in that person's department from which she graduated, let's Let's talk about something on a, on a bigger scale, more, more inclusive. And, and so we are growing a community of women. So in essence, uh, for, for our listeners, what you're talking about is an initiative, uh, sort of like a collective that brings together uh, women uh, who have a passion and desire to uh, invest in something meaningful within the institution. And then we are leveraging that collective uh, power to raise resources that then are awarded to uh, faculty and others in the university community to support initiatives that may not necessarily be uh, where you know it, it, one of the the women involved graduated from, but these are initiatives that are meant to to uh, sort of support the work or the interests of the campus community at large. Correct? Yeah, and. And I think we all know that if you work in an institution that believes in collaboration and 
not that scarcity mentality. The the I have 13 women on my advance advisory council, and they uh, three of them are trustees. They they give to other parts of the university, and I see that as a good thing. Yes. Uh, so we are not trying to cannibalize anybody's donor base, and thankfully that is we have a very collegial uh, atmosphere and. Uh, way of doing our work at UC Davis. And that, that makes, that certainly makes it easier, but to have something like this, it's a great entrance for uh, women to reconnect with their university because too often we're not reaching out to them until they're, you know, they've got more discretionary income or we perceive, you know, they're of a certain age. And mm -hmm. I contend that we need to be talking to millennials and this is something they're supremely interested in. I've got three very dynamic millennials who've recently joined the advisory council and that their perspective is critical to the success of the program. Yeah, so as we think about the, the future in philanthropy, I really like where this program is, is going and how you're envisioning it, you know, again, as a way to uh, reach out and get uh, women at all levels of the giving spectrum to be involved in an initiative where they get to direct philanthropy uh, collectively that elevates a wide range of programs within the institution, community, and so forth uh, that, that exist at a, at a, at a, in higher education. And so if you're thinking about ways in which you know, you may be, uh, uh, you may be able to do this, uh, you know, reach out to our friends at, uh, you know, Women in Philanthropy Initiative at UC Davis and see what they're doing. They're doing some really remarkable work. And that comes from uh, visionary leadership that sees that, you know, we need to be holistic in how we are approaching and engaging our donors. Other than that, this wouldn't happen. That's why not many places have invested in this. And so it's really uh, exciting for me to see and, and learn about this program and uh, again encourage everybody to uh, to to really uh, uh, check this out and uh, learn from you and uh, uh, you know we, we can make the world uh, a better place uh, one one institution at a time so Sally Grace says uh, we come to a close here I want to offer you an opportunity to give a shout out to one of your mentors who are they and uh, how they impacted you you know, I'd love for our audience to hear about that, because after all, we're all about mentorship here and mentorship matters. So uh, please do share. You know, this is one of those things that uh, I am a product of corporate America in the late 80s. And it wasn't and I was in a male dominated industry. So I'll have to say I did not do this might be one of my regrets. I did not actively seek mentorship. So this is something that is very passionately important to me now is talking about where I may have missed opportunities, but I'll have to say I, I recognized good leadership. And the reason I'm at UC Davis, I'll give a shout out to the Vice Chancellor, Sean Keister. He and I worked at another university together, and he's someone that I have admired, I have watched, and how he gets people, how he articulates a vision, and he invites everyone to be a part of it. 
because I moved myself 2,752 miles from the East Coast to be a part of that vision when he got to, to UC Davis. So he's definitely someone that has that type of leadership, albeit we've not never entered that formal mentorship uh, arrangement, but it is, it is something that needs to be talked about more and more and we need to be more intentional and I'm in a position where I can offer mentorship, I'm happy to say. Well, you're doing a remarkable job, uh, you know, really an incredible program uh, initiative at uh, UC Davis. And I'm very glad to see, uh, you know, that uh, your leadership has been supportive of this and has invested in this because it takes an investment, but it's a worthwhile investment that is truly going to make a difference and uh, appreciate that. Well, thank you for being here with us today, Sally Grace. Thank you, Kim. Well, there you have it. I'm Kim Naoni. Thanks for tuning in to Mentorship Matters. We will see you soon.